Hello, I'm Kevin Barrett of Truth Jihad Radio. You can support this show by subscribing. Hit the subscribe at Substack button at truthjihad.com. Welcome to Truth Jihad Radio. For the past month, RFK Jr.'s smash surprise bestseller, The Real Anthony Fauci, has been dominating the alternative media world as well as the bestseller charts but it's been totally ignored by the corporate-controlled mainstream gatekeepers until now. Suddenly, the Associated Press on Thursday morning, December 16th, published the long-awaited hit piece attacking RFK Jr. and his book. Just an hour or two later, Ron Unz of the Unz Review, the uh, unofficial <laughs> top general or field marshal of the alternative forces pushing back against the mainstream media lies about the most important topics, put out a response to the AP article pointing out that it is highly suspicious that the seemingly most outrageous part of RFK Jr.'s book, the 200 pages devoted to the alleged hoax that HIV causes AIDS, was completely ignored in the hit piece. Is this the dog that didn't bark? Let's ask Ron. Take it away, Ron Unz. The man who won a Nobel Prize for discovering the HIV virus endorses the book, praises it, and says that Kennedy is finally revealing the truth about all these lies that have dominated the world for decades. I mean, that, that really has to open your eyes. And it turns out in the book, Kennedy quotes the discoverer of the HIV virus as having said 30 years ago at an H at a AIDS conference that in his opinion there's a very good chance that the virus is harmless. I mean, if the HIV virus is simply a harmless passenger virus, it's obviously not the cause of AIDS. But if you go to the Wikipedia page, if you read any of the newspapers, if you read anything anywhere, 100% of the establishment medical opinion is that HIV causes AIDS. While we have the Nobel laureate who discovered the HIV virus saying something very different, and I'd never heard about it. I mean, it's, you know, you really, things like this really begin to stretch your sense of reality. And it's not only that. I mean, for example, there are three other Nobel, science Nobel laureates who've pretty much said the same thing. Uh, it turns out uh, one of the lead researchers who's been very critical of the HIV virus for decades, for 35 years now, is a Berkeley professor named Peter Duisberg, who's one of the key people discussed in, uh, in Kennedy's book. And the introduction to Duisberg's 700-page book denouncing the established orthodoxy in AIDS was written by Carrie Mullis, a top Nobel laureate, who actually was the man who developed the PCR test that everybody uses for all these viral detection issues. And he basically said, you know, when he first heard that the HIV virus was the cause of AIDS, he thought, oh, you know, so it is. You know, that's what it says in the media. But then as he started looking into the issue, he just said, well, can you, I, I'm writing a paper on AIDS because I've been hired to do some research on it. And I'd like to just add a footnote providing a link to uh, an academic journal article that explains, you know, why we know that HIV causes AIDS. And nobody could find such an article. There is no article apparently anywhere that says that HIV causes AIDS. When the original belief came about, it was uh, somebody named Robert Gallo, who was a government uh, medical researcher, 
what happened was he'd come out with a journal article arguing that HIV probably caused AIDS. And, you know, he thought he'd get a lot of attention from it, maybe even win a Nobel Prize. And he held a press conference long before the article was actually published. And the press conference simply declared that he had discovered that HIV causes AIDS and immediately got into the media. It became an international sensation because AIDS was a very hot issue. And, you know, apparently when you really look at the article he published, he tested 76 AIDS patients. And at least according to Kennedy's book, as he describes it, only 26 of them had the virus. So 26 of the 76 AIDS patients had some virus that might or might not have anything to do with AIDS. And that's basically what caused the enormous belief that HIV causes AIDS. So look, I'm absolutely no expert in this topic. But when you have the Nobel laureate who discovered the HIV virus, when you have a number one Amazon bestseller spending 200 pages on it, when you have all these other top researchers raising these same issues of deep skepticism, and none of it has been reported in the media for 30 or 35 years, you're really in a very strange situation. And in fact, in a couple of years, just a few years after all of this controversy was developed, a group of very high-ranking academic researchers and scientists, including two Nobel laureates, actually released a public statement saying that they had serious doubts whether HIV actually caused AIDS, and they thought it was important to set up an independent commission to resolve that issue and do some tests to find out if there's any evidence for it. And at least according to the story that Kennedy says, by that point, AIDS had become, HIV and AIDS had become such an incredibly important and lucrative source of revenue for the pharmaceutical industry with their various AIDS drugs and source of political power for Fauci at the Center for Disease Control that they were able to squash in the media these criticisms that were being raised by all of these top researchers. And the, the story about it is really very funny, according to Kennedy's account. When AIDS first appeared as a set of symptoms, you know, in other words, 26 separate diseases that seemed possibly to be connected to each other, it was originally put under the control of the National Cancer Institute because one of the highest profile diseases in that group, uh, Carposi sarcoma or something like that, was a form of cancer. So it was put in the cancer category. But once this researcher claimed that AIDS was caused by the HIV virus on the basis of essentially apparently no evidence, and it became a media sensation, Fauci was able to grab control of it for his disease institute, the National Center for Health. So in a sense, the whole value of the HIV virus being the cause of AIDS may have largely been an internal bureaucratic issue so that it could be grabbed by Fauci's organization away from the control of the National Cancer Institute that had been in charge of AIDS issues before. And that caused such a huge ocean of government funding, congressional appropriations, that, at least according to Kennedy and a lot of other people, the people behind this fraud have been trying for 35 years to cover it up. I mean, we're talking about $2 trillion of money spent on research and treating. It's treatment. I mean, it's really, it's clearly one of the strangest stories 
I've ever come across. I don't know whether it's true, but the fact that the Associated Press had six separate researchers and journalists working on a hit piece against Kennedy for weeks, and they never mentioned a word of it in their 4,000-word article, makes me very suspicious that <laughs> they really were told that a lot of what Kennedy's saying might very well be true and that if they mention anything about it, it might confuse tens or hundreds of millions of Americans and people around the world. So just keep the whole thing quiet. Right. It seems that uh, there's often a strategy of silence uh, in, in these cover-ups, and then sometimes that changes to a, a, an attack strategy. We saw that with the 9-11 Truth Movement for the first five years or so. There was dead silence in the mainstream media uh, very, you know, minor exceptions, things like Bush talking about, you know, how we, we must never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories and so on. But it was almost all total silence, even though there was all so much was happening and there were so many uh, big names, actually, who were speaking out. And part of it uh, was all ignored. And then suddenly they apparently realized in mid-2006 that it was time to push back and go into attack mode. And so the hit pieces started. And uh, something similar seems to be going on here. For a, a while, they were absolutely silent about RFK Jr.'s book, even though it was an Amazon bestseller, and they wouldn't even accept advertising for it. And now the uh, attack uh, pieces are starting. It didn't take them <laughs> five years this time, but it uh, it took a while. But they're still silent about this AIDS issue, which, as as you point out, is uh, beyond suspicious. It, it really is i can't i can't really think of an innocent explanation other than <laughs> them think, realizing that even bringing this up is going to be a problem but at some point maybe they'll be forced to go into attack mode on that issue too but who knows when that will be exactly and the whole thing about it is that there are a lot of issues sort of sub issues on the aids broader issue that are in this book i mean we're talking about 200 pages and quotes from a lot of seemingly extremely credible scientific experts. I mean, for example, Duisburg, who's the number one person in the field, I mean, he basically, they could go and interview him at Berkeley right now. They could get a copy of a 700-page book. In fact, um, he, he and a couple of co-researchers uh, of his colleagues had published a 24,000-word academic journal article on the subject about uh, about 15 years ago. That, you know, is up on the Internet. I put it up on my website. Anybody can read it. I mean, it summarizes the whole issue really pretty well from a scientific point of view. Now, you know, even if only some of the points that Kennedy is making in his book are correct, he seems to have a lot of evidence that AZT, which was one of the early AIDS, anti-AIDS drugs, anti-HIV drugs, was extremely lethal and was probably responsible for killing many, possibly even the vast majority of all the AIDS victims. It, the symptoms of AZT poisoning are what generally became known as the AIDS symptoms. In other words, when people were found to have the HIV virus, which possibly may have been an entirely virus, an entirely harmless virus, they were put on this extremely expensive and extremely dangerous drug and in many cases, it killed them within months or years. And the symptoms of the AZT poisoning are exactly the symptoms that people normally thought of as due to AIDS itself. So 
you know, if it turns out that the vast majority, let's leave aside the question of the exact cause of AIDS, but if it really is true that many or most of the people who supposedly died of, quote, AIDS actually had died from these very expensive and lucrative but deadly anti-AIDS drugs that they were put on by the medical profession, I mean, I think it'll be very difficult for the medical establishment to recover from something like that. I mean, they ended up killing allegedly hundreds of thousands of people with these poisonous drugs for a condition that may not have even existed in the first place. I mean, it would be exactly like the old bleeding issue from hundreds of years ago, but multiplied by probably a factor of 100 or 1,000. It's really unbelievable. And to make when somebody makes claims like that, as astonishing as that, and makes them in 200 pages of closely written text, backed up supposedly by top scientists, including four separate science Nobel laureates. And the book that contains that becomes a number one Amazon bestseller. And the media ignores it. I mean, we're talking about you know something that is just almost unprecedented. And I mean, they wrote a 4,000 word attack piece on him. And they never mentioned that he's an AIDS denier. I mean, it seems to me in the past, when people were being denounced or attacked, the worst things among, you know, say five or six of the absolute worst things you could call a person if you wanted to destroy his reputation was to say he was an AIDS denier. I mean, it isn't very common because so few people have said that. It isn't something the media focuses on much. But every now and then I would read, you know, a denunciation of some political figure. Oh, yes, uh, like that South African leader, uh, Mbeki about 15 or 20 years ago, he was vilified in the media for being allegedly an HIV AIDS denier. And, you know, we're talking about the president of South Africa, somebody who the media would normally never attack under any circumstances. But because he was critical of the HIV AIDS hypothesis, he was denounced regular in the media as an HIV AIDS denier. And we have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. with a number one bestseller writing 200 pages that makes him the biggest HIV AIDS denier in the history of the world from the point of view of the media. And the media leaves it out of a 4,000 word hit piece on him. There's something very strange going on. Indeed. And this is one of those issues that have been kind of on my radar for a long time. I lived in San Francisco in the 80s and 90s. And so I was there as the AIDS crisis was really exploding. And early on, there were people who noticed that AZT and these other drugs were killing people. And then there there was this sort of AIDS underground rebellion uh, among a certain activist component of the gay community and it, it even, you know, elsewhere as well. So there was that political fight that you could read about in San Francisco sort of neighborhood and underground papers. Very little of it made it into the mainstream, and when it did, it was usually slanted in favor of the establishment. So I've known about this for a long time, but I didn't really take it that seriously until Lynn Margulis, the National Medal of Science winner who became a 9-11 truth advocate, talked about this on my radio show. And she's convinced that, indeed, uh, HIV is not the cause of AIDS. She agreed that it's a, a, a number of things, and one of them, uh, she thought, was syphilis. She thought there's a fair bit of untreated syphilis out there. And syphilis spirochete apparently can uh, curl up into a very hard, round-body ball and basically won't show up on tests. 
and then it might come back to life and get you. That's what happened to, to Nietzsche at the end of his life. Apparently, the syphilis spirochete he'd been carrying uh, sort of woke up and uh, ate his brain. So anyway, uh, I've taken it more seriously since then, but again, it's hard to know the truth about these things if you don't have the medical background, but it sure looks like RFK Jr. has put this on the agenda in a way that will make it harder to ignore, and maybe we'll actually see a, a debate about it. Who knows? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it, the, the media right now is faced with a very difficult dilemma. If they attack, they can try. To, they can try to keep silent. I mean, it's the number one bestseller, and the AP has already sort of broken the ice, so it's difficult for the media to ignore him. If they attack him, they can either include mention of the AIDS issue or not. If they keep silent on the AIDS issue. Anybody who has two brain cells and reads his book can see obviously they're keeping silent because they don't have a case. In other words, that he's right. They would otherwise attack him. They would they would have a thousand medical doctors sign a petition denouncing him, but they keep entirely silent on it. If they do attack him on the AIDS issue, then I mean, our Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is not a medical doctor. He's not a researcher. He's an attorney. But I mean, somebody read these articles who talked with these people and got certain views from them. If they attack him, then it becomes very difficult for them not to go and talk with Duisburg, to talk with the Nobel laureates who've endorsed his position, to talk with journalists whom he quotes, who've written books on the whole issue. And those people have been working on this issue for 20, 30, even 35 years. They know this stuff backwards and forwards. And in fact, the only reason apparently this issue has been kept down is that people like Fauci have apparently used their media clout to keep Duisburg and all these contrary researchers out of the media. If that no longer happens, I think it may be very, very difficult for these people to win an argument that doesn't seem to exist. In other words, when nobody can apparently, when Kerry Mullis, a very high-ranking Nobel laureate, says that he was unable to find a single academic journal article anywhere that actually provided solid evidence that HIV causes AIDS, it's probably because it doesn't exist. And, you know, if it doesn't exist, I mean, the notion of a medical hoax of this magnitude, having been promoted and protected for 35 years, just boggles the mind. But it's starting to look that way based on this 4,000-word, very silent AP article. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. But, I mean, this really – and from the point of view of the anti-vaxxing movement, you know, this may not be something any of them are focused on. But as far as I can tell, the evidence for this part of Kennedy's book is vastly stronger and more authoritative than a lot of the issues dealing with vaccine. In other words, we're talking about four four science Nobel laureates. I mean, a huge amount of scientific information. And if the scientific community, if the medical community, if the media becomes totally discredited on the AIDS issue and is found to have basically been promoting and protecting a hoax for 35, almost 40 years, I think it's credibility on all other issues will be so enormously destroyed that people will really have to take a much closer look at 
these vaccine issues that Kennedy's focused on, or even some of these COVID issues that, you know, I, I tend to be sort of much more mainstream on. But I mean, you know, if you've promoted an HIV AIDS hoax for 35 years, why should anybody believe you about anything else? Indeed. Well, one of the ways that they stop us from finding out about these stories, as you said, you would have thought this was complete lunacy if you'd heard about it a month or two ago uh, at a cocktail party or something, um, is that they smear people's reputations. They do these hit pieces to make the name of the person kind of toxic or at least an unreliable source. And they have done that to uh, Luc Montagnier, uh, Peter Duisberg, and Kerry Mullis uh, to some extent. And in a way, I I think this uh, ad hominem technique that, of course, has been used in spades against 9-11 truth advocates is uh, part of the the crime stop uh, syndrome that you analyze in your article, American Pravda Confronting COVID Crime Stop. In in that article, of course, you're talking about the Orwellian notion of crime stop in which the, the big brother has inculcated people with this ability to sort of stop thinking when they sense that they're starting to head for forbidden territory. And you discuss this in light of a number of books about the origins of COVID, in, in which case everybody seems to stop short of the uh, the crime thing that you've engaged in by considering the very strong evidence that COVID may have emerged from a neocon American biological attack on China and Iran. So they all stop short of that. But I think people stop short as well when they start looking into, say, the AIDS controversy in part because they will, the, the mainstream media will smear these people, even Nobel laureates, who disagree with the mainstream narrative, just as they're smearing RFK Jr. now. Sure, exactly, exactly. Uh, with regard to the origins of the COVID epidemic, that's really probably the main thing I've focused on with regard to COVID for the last uh, 18 or 19 months now, starting in April uh, April of last year, April of 2020. And it seems to me the evidence really is quite strong on the issue, and I've written a long series of articles, uh, probably over a dozen articles, some of them really quite substantive, probably adding up to 70 or 80,000 words. We have them available in a freely distributed ebook, And, I mean, they've gotten hundreds of thousands of page views combined, probably 400,000 by now or something like that. But none of this, absolutely none of it, including all the sort of evidence that comes straight from totally unimpeachable sources, including the media itself, has ever been discussed in the media. Uh, It turns out a few weeks ago, uh, I saw the Wall Street Journal put together a full book review, uh, an article book review, going through several of the key books that have come out now after, you know, in the second year of the epidemic, discussing the origins of the epidemic, where it probably came from, with obviously the two main theories discussed being the original natural virus theory, that was almost universally accepted by the media and by the scientific community for about the first year. And then the new theory of a lab leak. In other words, was the virus bioengineered in China at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where it accidentally leaked out then, causing this huge global epidemic? But the point I've made in all my articles is that there's actually a third theory, a very obvious theory, which I think is much stronger and better documented than either of the other two. And that's simply that 
the biowarfare hypothesis. In other words, the viral epidemic occurred at the, as one of these books says, at the absolute worst possible time for China, right on the eve of the Lunar New Year holiday, when 450 million Chinese would be traveling throughout the country. It's the equivalent of New Year's, Christmas, the 4th of July, and a few other holidays all wrapped together. If they had not locked down the city of Wuhan, which is a transport hub, a key transport hub, the disease would have been spread to all sections of the country and would have become unstoppable. It really might have very well severely damaged, even destroyed the Chinese economy. And that's exactly the sort of goal of an anti-economy bioweapon. And in fact, the interesting thing about it is, of the three books that I covered, uh, that were covered in the Wall Street Journal Review, and then I added uh, four more that have come out but aren't quite as significant or uh, high profile, all of them lean towards the lab leak hypothesis, which until a few months ago had been denounced and vilified as, quote, a conspiracy theory. In fact, you weren't even allowed to mention that on Facebook. Facebook banned all posts discussing the lab leak hypothesis. You know, that's how and Building 7 was for a while. You, exactly. you, you couldn't exactly. talk about it or much less show it on mainstream TV. Exactly. And so, and then suddenly, in a period of just a few weeks, the tide entirely turned. And now it's reached the point where probably more than half of the coverage in the media supports the notion of a lab leak hypothesis. But nobody is willing, nobody is able to really discuss the third possibility, which is the most obvious. I mean, the point about it is, and it actually relates also to Robert Kennedy's book, which you know is obviously reaching millions of people right now. The last and second longest chapter of his book is on America's biowarfare program, which has been going on now for 75, almost 80 years. And in fact, when he was interviewed, in a, uh, given an hour interview on Tucker Carlson's show, he specifically said the chapter on biowarfare is the most important in the book. If you read only one chapter in the book, that's the one to read. One of the key figures in that chapter and in Kennedy's discussion, is a guy named Robert Cadillac, who probably almost nobody has heard of. For decades, since the late 1990s, Cadillac has been America's number one biowarfare advocate and expert. He's written a lot of articles arguing that biowarfare is the ideal means of taking down an international adversary and doing so in a plausibly deniable manner so that nobody can really prove what happened. Cadillac was brought into the Trump administration in 2017, right at the time when Trump was heating up the international confrontation with China. So he was brought in in 2017, our top biowarfare expert. In 2018, China's poultry industry was hit by a mysterious viral epidemic that devastated its chicken harvest and destroyed you know, a huge fraction of its chickens, one of the largest in the world. Then in 2019, another mysterious epidemic hit China's top meat source, its pig herds, destroying 40% of all the pigs in China. And China has the largest pig herd in the world, you know, devastating China's meat supply. And then in 2019, this mysterious virus that targeted humans suddenly appeared in the city of Wuhan right on the eve of Lunar New Year. 
But there's another thing that really – all this stuff comes from the media. You can read it in the New York Times, which is how I found out most of these things. It turns out the New York Times had a big front-page story earlier this year revealing that from January to August 2019, Robert Cadillac and his department ran something called the Crimson Contagion Exercise – a huge federal, state, American emergency exercise focused on how American officials could protect America from being infected by a dangerous respiratory virus which might suddenly appear in China. So in other words, the scenario was a dangerous respiratory virus suddenly appears out of nowhere in China, and American officials, state and federal officials, obviously practiced how best to prevent any of that from leaking into the United States. And They know, didn't do a very fact, good job, did they? They didn't do a very good job. But again, that exercise lasted from January to August 2019. And two months later, exactly that sort of mysterious, dangerous, viral respiratory virus suddenly appeared in Wuhan. Now, we're talking about coincidences that really would boggle the mind. And I mean, what I'm describing in terms of the crimson, crimson contagion sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory. But it, the reason I found out about it, there was a big story in the New York Times. It was on the front page of the New York Times. So we're talking about that exercise going on for eight months. And two months after the end of that exercise, which was run by America's top biowarfare expert, exactly that sort of virus suddenly appeared in China. I mean, the evidence is so strong that one reason I think none of these books and none, nobody in the media, even almost very, very, very few people in the alternative media are willing to discuss it, we're talking about basically a tremendous amount of strongly circumstantial and almost better than circumstantial evidence that an American biowarfare attack has now killed 20 million people around the world, including probably roughly a million Americans. I mean, we're talking about the greatest calamity to happen in the world since World War II, and nobody is looking at any of these things, which is just astonishing. So, you know, I'm not sure how much longer they can keep this quiet, but, I mean, the facts are all out there. I mean, when you read in the New York Times all of these stories, and all you have to do is put two and two together, and get a very disturbing number, I can't believe that this can be kept quiet permanently. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons that some people in the alternative media community, including some members of my audience, are not willing to fully go along with this, although a lot, an awful lot of them are, including many of my best guests, but some are reluctant because they, well, there's a certain kind of quote-unquote conspiracy theorist who imagines that as Roosevelt supposedly said, there are no coincidences in politics, no coincidences in history. If it happened, it was planned to happen. And so those folks have embraced the notion that the COVID pandemic in the West was indeed planned to happen because certainly look at all these people profiting from it. Uh, $7 trillion uh, shifted to the richest people in the world. The medical industrial complex, Fauci and his friends are all getting fat, getting rich, getting publicity, getting famous. And so all these beneficiaries are uh, enjoying themselves immensely, apparently. 
it stands to reason then that the whole thing must have been planned from the top. And so therefore, this Chris, you know, this crimson contagion exercise could not have been a sort of failed uh, effort to plan protecting the country against a respiratory virus that they were going to slam China with. And they couldn't possibly have been thinking that they really could protect themselves from such a virus because, well, if it happened, it was planned to happen that way. And so that, that seems to be the, uh, the biggest sticking point, really, in getting uh, a lot of people in the paranoid community, <laughs> conspiracy community <laughs> to accept your theory. Sure. I mean, the whole thing about it is until a proper investigation is done, there's no way of knowing the exact internal motives of who was involved. And, uh, for example, I, I don't really know who was involved in the whole thing. In other words, Cadillac seems a very plausible name to have had some role simply because he was our top biowarfare expert. If we were involved in a biowarfare attack, it's hard to believe he wasn't involved. But I have no idea what role he played, if any. In the same way, you know, my deepest my suspicions probably would be that if there were something organized by a rogue group of American plotters, the most likely suspects would be the top deep, deep state neocons in the Trump administration. In other words, basically Mike Pompeo, former CIA director and secretary of state, and John Bolton, the national security advisor, they would be the most likely causes. You know, it's perfectly possible neither of them was involved, but if you're making up a list of likely suspects, they would be at the top. And so the, the key thing is there seems absolutely overwhelming evidence that elements of the American government were involved in deliberately releasing the COVID virus in Wuhan, China. And they're also targeting Iran. In other words, immediately after the viral outbreak in Wuhan, by the most remarkable coincidence, it suddenly jumped to the holy city of Gom in Iran. So Iran became, you can read, there's a big New York Times article you can find in the archives. Iran becomes the second epicenter of the COVID outbreak. And it didn't hit Tehran. It hit the holy city of Gum, which is where, you know, the members of parliament, the members of the Majlis and the top leadership are located. And, it and it's a good place to spread it, too, it run across it, the country because happens. of the shrine. People go to the shrine there and they're in very, very close contact with each other as they uh, push against each other to try to get to the holy relics in the center of the shrine. And I actually have been exactly. there and <laughs> experienced that. Uh, I, I wouldn't want some, a virus spreading while I was doing that. Exactly. And for example, within a couple of weeks of the, uh, you know, the uh, viral epidemic reaching the headlines, we, there was a report that 10 percent of the entire Iranian parliament was infect, infected with COVID. So we're talking about the two countries in the world that America is most hostile towards suddenly hit almost simultaneously by a mysterious deadly virus, which seems exceptionally suspicious. So, uh, again, you know, it's hard to say who was involved. There's no way to say exactly what the motives were. I mean, it could be I'm entirely wrong. Maybe there was uh, a belief on the part of some of these conspirators uh, that it would leak back to the United States and that that was part of their goal. I, I don't see any evidence of it, but it's certainly possible. But the key thing is there is overwhelming evidence that elements of the American government were involved in the appearance of the virus. For example, right uh, Based on epidemiological and genetic evidence, it's been possible for researchers to determine the likely time when patient zero was infected in Wuhan 
And that would have probably occurred right around the end of October or the beginning of November, almost certainly between October 15th and November 15th, probably towards the middle of that range. Now, it turns out right at the end of October, 300 American military servicemen were in Wuhan for the Wuhan military games, the international military games. Thousands of military servicemen from all over the world were visiting Wuhan. It seems to me that would have provided absolutely perfect cover for slipping a couple of CIA operatives or special forces soldiers in there among the 300 to release the virus and you know start the epidemic going in Wuhan. And so we have a situation where 300 American servicemen visit Wuhan, and exactly at the time they're in Wuhan, this mysterious viral epidemic begins in that city. And then it jumps a few weeks later to Iran. So we had Iran's top political elites hit by this mysterious virus just a few weeks after America had assassinated Iran's top military commander. I mean, the whole thing is the, the number of implausible coincidences piled on each other has become so enormous. It, it's absurd that none of this is ever covered in the media and almost none of it in the alternative media either. And the reason it isn't covered in the media is very simple. A few of the points I just made, if they appeared in any major media story, everybody would immediately see there was an overwhelming likelihood that that's exactly what happened. I mean, there's no argument on the other side. And so you then have to approach it, obviously, with complete silence. Another example, which in some ways may be the single biggest smoking gun of the whole thing, after and by the way, from my point of view, I think there's strong evidence that Trump himself was not aware of what was going on. He was a very disengaged president, and he spent his time tweeting and didn't really do much of that. And in fact, a couple of the books that I ended up reading and reviewing emphasized the fact that a lot of his top national security advisors just sort of ignored him and basically ran circles around him and did whatever they wanted. They, to they do. would steal executive orders from his desk. Exactly, and he wouldn't even remember exactly. that they had been there. Exactly. So in other words, basically, and the fact that Trump, once the viral epidemic occurred in the United States, Trump told everybody, oh, it doesn't matter. Nothing's happening. It's all a hoax. You can ignore it. It'll go away by itself. I mean, that tends to indicate he wasn't aware it was a dangerous bioengineered virus, a bioweapon that had been gotten into the United States. So the point about it is after Trump did and his top officials did such a poor job of controlling the epidemic and it became a deadly plague in the United States that now that you know it was killing hundreds of thousands of Americans four separate intelligence sources from within the government went to ABC News and explained to them that it wasn't their fault that this disaster had occurred that American intelligence, a, a unit within the Defense Intelligence Agency, actually published a secret intelligence report warning of this terrible outbreak, this dangerous, potentially cataclysmic viral outbreak taking place in Wuhan, China, and urging the government to prepare itself, you know, to make sure the American forces were secured, to make sure that it wouldn't leak back into the United States. I mean, you know, basically prepare themselves for this deadly outbreak taking place in Wuhan, China. And it was, it ran on ABC News. I think it was tweeted out something like, it got 1,700 comments. It was massively tweeted out because it made Trump look very bad. Four separate intelligence sources revealed the secret intelligence report that, you know, Trump had just ignored. Trump had done nothing with. 
Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like the way Bush was warned before 9-11. Exactly, exactly. But then people noticed the date of the report. The secret intelligence report had actually been published and distributed towards the end of November, and it had actually been written in the second week of November. And at that point, there was no visible outbreak in Wuhan. It was before anybody in Wuhan was aware of it, because according to all the evidence we have, at that point in time, in other words, at exactly the period in time when the defense intelligence was producing the secret intelligence report warning of a potentially cataclysmic disease outbreak in the Chinese city of Wuhan, probably 15 or 20 people were infected in Wuhan. And probably almost none of them showed any symptoms at all. So in other words, the disease had actually been going for a few weeks. But as we know from the experience in the United States, because the disease has an incubation period and a symptom-free infectious period, we're talking about nobody in Wuhan being aware of the virus for another month, for more than a mother month. And not only that, but nobody could have possibly been aware of it because at the, flight of, at the height of flu season in a, series, in a city of 11 million people, probably 15 or 20 people were starting to feel a little bit sick with potentially flu symptoms. So there's no way anybody could have been aware of it in China or anywhere else in the world. And America's Defense Intelligence Agency was already publishing a secret report and distributing it, not only to our government, but to all of our NATO allies in Israel, warning of this potentially cataclysmic disease outbreak taking place in Wuhan, which hadn't yet occurred. Now, once people noticed the date on that report in the ABC News story, the Pentagon immediately denied it. They said, oh, the report never existed. It was just a figment of all those four people's imagination that spoke to ABC News. But then a couple of weeks later, Israel, Israeli TV came out with a report saying, oh, yes, we know about the report because it was sent to Israel. Our sources say, yes, we received the report. And, and this so could it, be a shot across the bow, Ron, because, you know, there's a history that Lauren Guyano explores of Israel uh, getting involved sometimes uh, or at least being aware of American um, ultra-sensitive, uh, very embarrassing operations, possibly in, including the killing of JFK and 9-11, which indeed Israel may have been very instrumental in making happen, but they would get dirt on the American agencies uh, for being involved in in, uh, the, in those operations. Like with, with JFK, supposedly the Americans, or some of them anyway, thought that they were just faking an assassination attempt on Kennedy, didn't realize it was going to be real. And likewise, some hypothesize that on 9-11, the American aspect of that was much, much smaller, and the Israelis hijacked it just as they made sure the president got killed in 1963. They made sure that the Twin Towers got blown up on 9-11. And so then they, they have the uh, blackmail material of U.S. intelligence involvement in an incredibly embarrassing uh, operation, and so the Americans can't go after the Israelis because the Israelis would expose the American complicity. And here, once again, the Israelis are holding some cards that they can use to uh, sort of threaten uh, the American policymakers. That that's absolutely possible. I mean, that that's very possible scenario. Uh, uh, other people have also speculated that the attack on the Iranians may have actually been by the Israelis. In other words. It's clear the Israelis would have much stronger intelligence assets within Iran than America does. So in other words, if you were releasing the virus in the holy city of Gum, 
it might have been more difficult for American operatives to do it. So it, it's possible that the Israelis decided simply to take advantage of the American biowarfare attack against China to launch a similar attack yes. against you know their arch rivals, the Iranians. I mean, that's possible. Uh, the only argument you make on the other side is since the deep state neocons in the United States, like Pompeo and Bolton, are so intensely hostile to Iran also, it's perfectly possible they just did it as part of their, um, you know, biowarfare attack against two countries. Indeed. So, I mean, uh, with a lot of these issues, there's simply no way of knowing the exact identity of the individuals involved, the exact nature of the plan, even knowing exactly which countries other than the United States might have been involved, and whether, for example, the that Israeli leak about the secret intelligence report is a sort of shot across the bow of the Americans. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of these things are simply uncertain, and we can all speculate. But the key fact to really focus on is the overwhelming evidence of American foreknowledge of the epidemic in China in several different ways. And the fact that the attack occurred right at the absolute worst possible time and at the peak of America's confrontation with China puts, I think, the overwhelming amount of evidence pointing in that direction. And the fact that nobody in the media and so few people even in the alternative media are willing to discuss these things shows really how incredibly sensitive it really is. And in fact, what I can say is probably of all the articles and books I've seen discussing the issue, probably the one that comes closest to hinting towards what I'm talking about is actually Robert Kennedy's number one bestseller because he has a whole chapter on the connection between American biowarfare and the COVID epidemic. I mean, he has a lot of material on Cadillac, including some material I hadn't even been aware of. And so he, he doesn't, he's very careful to avoid explicitly saying any of the things that I've said but he puts an awful lot of dots on the page and makes it very easy for people to connect them. And we're talking about a number one bestseller that probably has already sold several hundred thousand copies, possibly even moving towards a million copies right now. And I, I think a lot of people may read it and start to sort of think these things through in a much more detailed fashion, especially because he breaks so many other important stories, both on you know, the question of some of these vaccines, on the question of whether these medical treatments to deal with COVID really have been suppressed by the pharmaceutical companies to pad their profits. And most astonishingly, on the whole issue of whether the medical profession and the media has covered up the truth about AIDS for 35 or 40 years, which, I mean, that blew me away. I mean, that simply is something that I never saw coming. And I think it really is just very difficult to suppress a number one bestseller by somebody as prominent as Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So his book may become a catalyst for change, uh, and I, I would sure love to see that. And I'm very much doubling down on my uh, belief that uh, my write-in vote for RFK Jr. for president in the last election was not entirely wasted. Uh, at least in terms of setting an example, or at least a sort of I told you so sort of thing I can break out now. Uh, well, uh, get, getting in, into the the uh, sort of the larger issue of the people covering this up, I, I wonder if, you know, obviously in these kinds of cases, it isn't just the people who are fully aware and kind of in on it 
who cover it up, although they may have the most to lose and so they do the most uh, heavy lifting or whatever they're capable of doing. Uh, for instance, the uh, the makers of AZT and uh, maybe Fauci and his friends, assuming that they know what's going on and so on, uh, they're not the only ones who are going to cover this up or think that it ought to be covered up because, well, there are so many uh, folks out there who seem to think that if we shake people's faith in vaccines and medicine in general, that millions of people will die because they will stop trusting medical science and they will turn to untested remedies and things like that. It'll be a huge catastrophe uh, in the same way that um, my uh my friend Gordon Duff, editor at Veterans Today, the former uh, CIA honcho, says that after 9-11, uh, there were insiders uh, pooling their thoughts about what to do about it, and they decided they couldn't really push back overtly or there would be a civil war. The consequences of revealing the truth would be worse than the consequences of not entirely revealing it all, at least not right away. And likewise, we could imagine that with the apparent uh, neocon bio-attack on China and Iran, if the truth of that were fully unleashed on the public uh, across the world, well, there would be all kinds of destabilizing consequences, including the Chinese people presumably demanding some form of retaliation. Uh, it would push the U.S.-China uh, problem to a whole new level of being problematic. Uh, so you can imagine that people who are kind of cynical about truth uh, but who sort of see themselves as the, the sheepdogs who take care of the flock. Such people, uh, whether or not they're even involved uh, or very aware of the details about these things, would just sort of instinctively want to cover them up. They, we can't shake people's faith in medicine by revealing the truth about AIDS. We can't shake people's truth in their government and, and create an international crisis by revealing the truth about uh, the COVID biostrike or, or 9-11. And I wonder if you sort of thought that through and how you would debate an apologist for the forces of cover-up who said, Ron, you know, the stuff you're putting out is really dangerous. I mean, if this catches on, it could mean World War III. So how would you respond to that? Well, I, here's another way of looking at it. If this story came out that America launched a, uh, rogue elements of the American government, that, that Trump had been so incompetent that he allowed rogue elements of his own government to launch a secret bio-warfare attack against China, and the result was that China was annoyed a little bit. A few thousand Chinese died. I mean, it suffered very little. And a million Americans died and 20 million people around the world. I think that would mean regime change in the United States. And from the point of view of the Chinese people, if the result of the American biowarfare attack was that a few thousand Chinese died and a million Americans died while American society was totally disrupted. Who needs retaliation? This is built in. Yeah, I think, I think that's punishment enough. And, uh, you know, it, I, I think probably what might happen is that a lot of Americans would be sort of angry at the individuals who were involved in causing the deaths of... I mean, look, America has now been... The daily lives of ordinary Americans have been severely disrupted now for almost two years. I mean, people are very angry. They're very unhappy. And probably over a million Americans have already died. So under those circumstances, if it turns out this was actually the result of an American biowarfare attack that didn't work out well, let alone, you know, what some of these other people think. There was a deliberate 
action by American elites to kill a lot of Americans and disrupt our own society. I think it would mean regime change in the United States. But I, I think things have now reached the point. If it really is true, I think regime change is necessary in the United States. I mean, we're talking about a, a government so incredibly deluded, inept, aggressive, and incompetent that it releases a deadly virus that kills 20 million. According to The Economist, there have been 20 million excess deaths due to COVID around the world. I mean, a million Americans have died. You know, at some point, you have to say, well, what would justify regime change in the United States? If a million American deaths and everybody's ordinary life being totally disrupted for two years, everybody wearing masks, all these injections, all these buildings closed down, I mean, our lives have been totally disrupted. If that does not justify American regime change, what possibly would? And, of course, my hypothetical apologist for the forces of cover-up would say, well, you can ask for regime change in America now, but after you, you get it, you might regret what you'd asked for. Uh, can you imagine uh, regime change um, playing out in a relatively positive way? Uh, I, mean, I, I could certainly imagine uh, RFK Jr. assuming the mantle of his family, becoming president after uh, such a regime change. That would be nice. Uh, but I could also imagine... Before the you know the bad guys don't want to get caught and they have a lot of resources and they're going to fight back and so there's a, a big fight will break out and that could get pretty ugly, couldn't it? Well, I mean that's possible. But I mean, look, first of all, who really has benefited from this epidemic in the United States? Almost nobody. In other words, under my scenario, the people responsible for it certainly didn't want it to happen. They were just incompetent. I mean, they just you know basically it's sort of i mean they blew up their own house it's sort of like terrorists who are building bombs in their basement and they blew up their own house so under my scenario nobody wanted it to happen under the scenario of some of these other people that you mentioned are more conspiratorial basically a few hundred of america's wealthiest people wanted it to happen i mean i don't know or maybe or Bill even Gates. a few dozen or even just a few of yeah them a few dozen yeah. okay right but i mean basically 99.99% of americans have suffered because of what happened maybe even 99.9999% of americans i mean a million americans have died lots and lots of people have lost relatives over it i mean we're talking about a balance of forces, if people really believe this is what happened, especially if they believe it happened through total incompetence rather than malevolent potting, I mean, are these the people you want to run your country? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. It's sort of, you know, the the question is like, would be to track down who was guilty and who through criminal incompetence, I mean, the, the truth is, this is such a gigantic disaster for the United States. It's the worst thing that's happened to America probably since the Great Depression. If it was actually due to man-made incompetence and terrorism on the part of a handful of these neocons, as I'm saying, I mean, that's bad. If it was a larger group, maybe a group of hundreds of potters, that also is bad. But I mean, we're talking about a gigantic disaster in American society caused by an america by a biowarfare attack organized by elements of the american government are those the people you want to run your country in other words if they cause this sort of disaster whether it was intentional or unintentional you don't want them running your country anymore i mean 
I sure don't. And that, 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 that's also why I think some of these conspiratorial people, I've been interviewed a couple of times, I've told them, I think they're looking at this the wrong way. For example, uh, there was a European radio show, and they were talking about these malevolent elites in Europe who deliberately caused the epidemic to spread there and everything like that. No, that that's possible. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But you know, the one thing that's undeniable is that the elites running Europe allowed the epidemic to spread, whether it was deliberate or incompetent, they caused it to happen. In other words, I think something like probably between a million and a million and a half Europeans have died. I mean, they've had all these lockdowns, their lives have been totally disrupted. So if everybody agrees that the elites running all these European countries caused it to happen on their watch, whether it was through criminal incompetence and negligence or deliberate planning, that's a secondary issue. In other words, Robert Kennedy, for example, in his book, seems to think a lot of this is deliberate. I'm skeptical of that. I think it was just criminal incompetence. But if you agree who is to blame, and your only disagreement is the motive involved, whether it was incompetence or whether it was deliberate, I mean, that's not something to fight over. In other words, everybody in Europe knows who's responsible. It was the governments of Europe because it happened on their watch. In other words, if you are the government leadership of France or Italy or these other countries, and if hundreds of thousands of your people die from an infectious disease because you were incompetent, unable to stamp it out, it's your fault. You shouldn't. You should be removed from power. You should be investigated. And you know, you don't need to prove that they did it deliberately. You just have to prove that it happened. And I mean, what are what argument can the American or European ruling elites make against their blame? The only thing they can say is, well, in the future, if this happens again, we'll try harder next time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean. A million Americans have died because of this, and it very likely was due to an American biowarfare attack. The motive is secondary. The key thing is basically to focus on the evidence and focus on the blame, and it's all staring you right in the face from you know, all these reports. I mean, a front-page story in the New York Times about the Crimson Contagion exercise that went on for exactly this sort of viral epidemic. So I, I, I just think... It really is shocking that more people in the alternative media aren't willing to broach these very delicate subjects and are sort of going off on questions of motive when motive is a very secondary issue. Yeah, I, I largely agree, um, although I'm, I'm somewhat uh, – maybe I, I don't have a lot of faith in – the ability of a mass awakening to necessarily prevail. You know, sort of like Noam Chomsky's allegedly said about the JFK assassination. He said, well, if they did that, they're so powerful, there's no point in taking them on. Now, whether he was sincere or not, I'm not sure. But in, in this case, we're certainly going to see some pushback, uh, from the people I call the forces of cover up, whether or not they're in any way really complicit in, in this. Um, what you're suggesting would be such a threat to the ruling elites that they would pull out everything in their bag of tricks to push back against it and, and try and contain it. And chief among that, of course, would be scapegoating the tendency to sort of offer up a, a diversionary sacrifice, a point the finger of blame at the anti-vaxxers and this Kennedy, he's causing, he's causing everybody to die. And all of these anti-vaxxers are crazy. They're going to kill us all quick. We lock them up. And meanwhile, uh, censor the media and make sure nobody uh, hears any of this other side because it's so dangerous. So that's probably the way they're going to push back. And uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting battle, isn't it? 
Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think it's very difficult. The whole thing about breaking through is you only need a critical mass of media coverage. And something this explosive becomes unstoppable. Robert Kennedy is a fairly prominent public figure and has been in public life for decades. He has a number one Amazon bestseller on a very hot topic. And the media is now starting to attack him. If the media doesn't attack him, I, I think at this stage the media will probably have to start attacking him. And once they start attacking him, I, I just noticed, for example, this morning, his book had been down at number seven on the Amazon list uh, over the last couple of days, and suddenly it jumped back up to number two, presumably because of this AP attack on him. As more and more media coverage comes, more people will read his book, and they'll discover a lot of these facts. And I think, I mean, there's the old story of being not able to unsee something. Once you've discovered what seems to be possibly the truth about AIDS, once you've discovered what seems very likely to be the truth about the origins of the COVID epidemic that has now killed probably over a million Americans, that stays there. It's not something you quickly forget. And I, I think it becomes very difficult for the media to plug up the leak in the dam once it's reached the level of a number one Amazon bestseller. Well, let's hope this is the issue that reaches critical mass and uh, takes down these folks who have been so uh, criminal and incompetent in, in so many ways that everybody who listens to this show and reads the UNS Review is familiar with. Well, thank you so much, Ron UNS. I appreciate your amazing work on so many of these issues. And I'm really happy to see that you did such an amazing job here on jumping on this uh, hit piece against RFK Jr. and getting out a uh, quite brilliant uh, response just hours or, you know, a couple of hours after the AP <laughs> published it. Um, that's, that's, uh, I think, I think we need to, to hire you for our uh, PR team. I guess we already have. <laughs> so keep up the I mean, work. this is, this is the sort of stuff I always used to do back in the old days when I was doing politics. And, you know, the whole thing about it is, the media is an incredibly powerful force, and you know they outgun you a thousand to one, a million to one, something like that. So you have to always be very quick to take advantage of mistakes they made. And I think personally, this four thousand word Associated Press article was a mistake. They should have just kept quiet. But there are a lot of people in the media, and as long as a few of them keep on attacking uh, RFK Jr., I think uh, the situation will continue. Okay, well, let's keep stirring up that controversy and uh, hope they keep attacking. Thanks so much, Ron. It's been great talking. Thanks uh, for keep having up the good me. work. Uh, see you next time.